Hey, Laura. Yeah? You want to talk about Leo? I have been waiting all day long to talk about Leo. Yes! Welcome, gentle listeners, to Let's Talk About Leo. This is the podcast where we discuss the body of work of Leonardo DiCaprio, one film at a time. I am Meredith, and with me, as always, is my trusty sister and fellow Leo lover, Laura. Hello, Laura. Hi. When you just said um, the body of work of Leonardo DiCaprio, I got, like, all giddy, and I was like, <laughs> like, like, wow, I, we're so lucky we get to, we're, that we're doing this, that we thought of this. Oh, I, thought, I thought that it was, like, a like because I said the word body. And you're sexual. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Uh, it was just because you, uh, you said I totally understood that you were just excited about our endeavor. Uh, okay. Uh, all right. Um, today we are discussing Leo's second chance at an Oscar in The Aviator. But before we get to that, Laura. Oh, I don't think it's called it? The Aviator. What do you think it's called? The Aviator. No, no, no. <laughs> I was going to say it in Spanish, but then I thought that that was like, I don't know, something. Don't you dare say cultural appropriation. <laughs> I will. I will. Come but I'll tell you why, you. because the first time I ever saw this movie, it was uh, it was in it was dubbed in Spanish Oh, and with was, English subtitles. Was it and I was in the Mexico. Avia, the Aviator? No, it was called El Aviador. <laughs> <laughs> and so in I my head, that. it's always been El Aviador. Oh, it's a really pretty word, no matter how you say it. It's like how I can't think of cold case as being anything but what it is in Portugal. Casus de arquivados. <laughs> casus de arquivados. Wait, what, what was it? A Casus de arquivados. It's the Polish family guy. Family guy. <laughs> uh, that's for how those I of say, our listeners that say didn't... family guy, now I go family guy. Family guy. <laughs> um, for our, our gentle listeners who do not speak Portuguese, casus de arquivados uh, translates directly as cases from the archives. <laughs> but it's cold case. But it's cold case because they don't have that phrase there, so it means nothing. So it's cases from the archives, and it's amazing. Casus de archivados. Casus de archivados. Okay. Anyway, we're talking about the aviator today, but before we do that, Laura, yeah, what it do? Um. Oh my God. So first of all, I don't want to brag. I don't mean to brag, but my hair looks so good today. Mine looked really good today, too. Like, I don't know what it is, but I've been trying to do these, like, waves, you know? And mm-hmm. what happened was I went to the gym this morning to my trainer, and then I came home, and I didn't have time to shower. So I was like, ah! And I turned to my best friend. Dry shampoo? Dry shampoo. I turned to dry shampoo, and dry shampoo made my hair, like, really have a lot of volume. Mm. And then it, like, really held on to the curl. hmm and so I just like all day I've been like looking at my hair and just thinking how amazing it looks, but no one reacted as strongly as I wanted them to. So they were probably worried that they were going to embarrass you with your own beauty. That happens a lot, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, um, no, dirty hair holds better. It does. That's, That's why you're never supposed to wash your hair before you like if you're going to be in a wedding or something. Mm-hmm. Don't wash your hair before you get it done in like a in an updo. Yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, I could say some political things, but. I don't really have the energy to tackle that right now. Uh, I 
just want to say being sexually assaulted is no way a condition of any kind. No. Uh, it's a crime. I just, I'm really so. starting to think of ways to escape to Justin Trudeau's Canadian paradise. So anyway, I can't write, I can't with this right now. It's just too much. I've got to preserve my energy for the cinematic beast we're about to tackle. Yeah. So yeah. How are you? I'm okay. Um, I'm like, okay. So I know that you don't like when I say that I'm stressed out, but just realize before I say this that it's like not real. It's totally, it's totally fake. It's in my head. So I'm stressed out right now because I was in a- That's like even worse. Shh, hold on. We wait for the story because it gets really good. <laughs> I was in a taxi on my way home today, and I had the windows down as the weather is nice, and the taxi cab did not smell that great. And I don't know how, but I'm like 90, okay, not 90, I'm 30% sure (laughs) that a bug flew into my mouth and got stuck in my throat and has been trying to claw its way out ever since. Okay. Um, I feel like I can feel it in there. (laughs) (laughs) And also, like, remember when that bug was in my ear? Oh, yeah. So I sat and under everything. this like orange tree at our parents' house and a spider crawled into my ear and got stuck and I ran in crying and my mom like shoved my head over the sink and shot a pressurized water hose in my ear. And then we put some like olive oil in your ear and then I took you to the doctor because nobody believed in you. I know. <laughs> nobody believed in me. And I remember mom being way too calm and I was like, I don't feel that you are having the, <laughs> the responsible reaction to this scenario. So I'm reliving that horror, but in my throat. And I definitely, don't worry, I drank olive oil, which made me gag. Don't do that. I know. So there's a bug that's taken up resident in my throat. It is disturbing. Just behind my uvula. Um, okay, Laura. Oh my God. What if Leo is like the biggest Phil Collins fan and he gets emotional during that song that like all men have the wrong idea about? All white men on this planet love that song and think that it's about something that it's not about. And I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Just so you all know, that is not about a murder or a drowning. It's about Phil Collins' divorce. Yeah. It's not what it's about. Um, so it it gives so many during that song. It get, chill out. It gives so many white dudes the feels that it's actually like a very crucial part of the American Psycho soundtrack. That's that's right. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Also, the other song that gives uh guys the feels is um the Brian <laughs> the Brian Adams song, "The Summer of '69." Oh yeah. Standing on your mother's porch. You told like, me you it can... would last forever. I mean, if you just like turn that song on in a room and there's like a bunch of white guys in there, you can look around and you will see them feeling their childhood. Um, also, <laughs> Glory Days by Bruce Springsteen. Oh, They're yeah. like, oh, man, well, remember when I was more amazing general. than I am now? And I'm like, mm-hmm. Except like you probably weren't. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, all right. Anyway, well, that's okay. enough about um, that. On to Leo. <laughs> so what I'm saying is I think that Leo probably feels the same way about those songs. Probably. Except his glory days are always and forever. He will never not have glory days. Oh, my days. God. I pro- I bet that when he runs into the boss, he's like, I was listening to your you know Greatest Hits album the other day, and that song Glory Days, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. What do you mean glory and, days? And Bruce is like, you know what? I don't get it either. <laughs> Yeah, they both just keep getting better and better. Sad. Okay, go on. Uh, Leo News, do you have any? This week in Leo. I do. I mean, it's less like news, and it's just a fun little thing that I saw when searching for news. Okay. 
So the article is about how Leo built a house for his mom next door. But we already knew knew that, that, right? Yeah. Yeah, But apparently there's a new uh, arrangement or something. He and so he basically like lives on this compound. So when his wolf pack bros live with him, they don't actually live with him. They have like their own houses on the compound. But the fun part is, you know, like you would think that living next door to your mom when you're a 42 year old modelizer would perhaps cramp your style a bit. One would assume. But apparently one would assume. I mean, I don't know what your mom's like, but, you know, you would think. Well, apparently Leo has an area on the property that no one but him that he no one but he is allowed to go to except for like his lady friends and it has a little house on it and a t- and a hot tub so he basically like built himself a little bingy built himself den. a sexton on his compound that he shares with his mother yeah and it's like hidden and he just like goes down there and he goes down there by himself too um and there's also a secret entrance to the place so that his ladies can come and go without anyone seeing so I'm wondering, like, does he have an open relationship? Is he a cheater? Or, like, is this just just uh, Nina, like, coming and going? <laughs> I think it's squarely none of our business. <laughs> I wondered. I just wondered. No, I know. I'm just saying I, don't, I can't even speculate because you know that I'm a firm believer and everybody gets to have the relationship that they want to have. And as long as no, everything's it, above board, that's chill. Well, I agree, too. I was just wondering what, what their arrangement is. But like a little place like that, that's like next level. That's how that's how you know you've made it. Exactly. When you're like, like I have a home, but I'm going to build my sex home down here. (laughs) No, no, no. I have a home, but I'm going to build my mom like a matching house next door. And then my buddies are going to have little houses. And then I'm going to build my sex den. (laughs) But I'm like, I'm not surprised he has a place like this. And I want to know, like, what it looks like. How big is the hot tub? Is it, like, above ground or in the ground? Is it shaped like a heart? Is it <laughs> is it recreated? Uh, is it a recreation of the grotto at the Playboy Mansion? Yeah. Like, what does it look like? So I don't think I'll ever find out. But, um, oh, also, the trusty source of this information is uh, the National Enquirer. So it's oh, 100% so it's real. it's definitely true. It's definitely real. Like, it's definitely, definitely real. But we do know that he lives next to his mom. So... That that part that part's true. real. But how would anybody know about his secret sex palace? I don't know. Maybe the person that built it was like, "Hey, it's called let's the talk National about- Enquirer." Yeah. Well, no, it's not. I mean, it's not damaging. It's like he's awesome. He has a sex den. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's a, a sweeping part of this population that would not appreciate a sex den in the same way that you and I do. No, they totally would. They would just pretend like they didn't. Also, remember that he has like a Palm Springs uh, bingity bingity house. Oh, yeah. That was one of our first Leo News segments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's got it. He's like not only at his own house does he have an area. He's like got places all over the country and the world. Probably. Good for him. You live your I best know. life, Leo. I know. Maybe he's just like, you know, my room is my private place. So I'm going to build like a separate area, you know? Yeah. Or maybe if you get to go to the actual house, then you're, like, really in. hmm You know? Who mm-hmm. knows? Anyway, do you have any Leo news? Not really, but sort of. It's okay. Like little, See? It's like a little snippet. Right. So Leo was at a charity event for Haiti with mm. Sean Penn and his former girlfriend, Naomi Campbell. <gasps> oh, yeah, because they're still friends. Yeah. So I wonder if they, like, sat at the same table. Her dress is amazing. I didn't see her dress, but I did see 
pictures of him there and he was like drinking like a rather large glass of wine that was not proportional to what a real glass of wine is and uh he was wearing of course the gray newsy hat to an event yes where other famous people are yeah he sat next to sean penn this was sean penn's event he sat next to sean penn i don't really know if i like him fraternizing with sean penn (laughs) i feel like sean penn is a bad influence on all i agree it was an auction though so who knows what you know Oh God! So Maybe he's just wanted out to just thinking. I about know, it. right? <laughs> I know. But what and like, and like- in that situation, it's like, you know, they're all so rich, but somebody's richer than somebody else. You know, do they get weird about that kind of stuff? Maybe, but I was just thinking, like, so he has what's his net worth? Like two hundred million dollars or something like that. Sure. Okay, so say something comes up and it's going for like five million dollars or whatever. And they wanted more for it, and nobody like bids more. You know that he has the money. He just doesn't want your thing. Yeah. Uh, if I ruled the world, everyone would be wanted. Yeah, they'd be like, Leo, I just Googled it, and you have $245 million. Literally. And actually, all when you Google like net worth, it's under most of the time. So Yeah. Or at least that's so what Billy money. Joel says. Billy Joel is, I mean, Billy Joel is wise. And he has a song for every situation that you can ever come in contact to in your life. Nobody knows relationships like Billy Joel and nobody knows love like Freddie Mercury. That made my heart just like feel good. Oh, my God. Freddie Mercury. I just no, thought let's, about no, him we again. Can't, we can't. We can't. We can't. We can't. We have no time. We have oh no God. time. Okay. Okay. Oh. We already ranked the Beatles and the, and the Aviator is three hours long. I know, but I don't have that much to say about it. So, okay. Oh. Laura. Yeah. Had you ever seen the Aviator before? I had seen the Aviator before. (laughs) And I need to apologize, actually, to Mr. Martin Scorsese, because when we did Gangs of New York, I said I had never seen a Scorsese movie before. But that was because I didn't realize he directed the Aviator. That's because... um, It's... I mean, it's not violence. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've... Definitely seen The Aviator, so I was wrong that I had not seen a Scorsese movie before. Um, Scorsese is like the Billy Joel of uh, movies. Direct everybody, yeah. Everybody knows Billy Joel's songs; they just don't know that they're his. Right. And everybody's seen a Scorsese movie, but they don't realize it's his. You've also seen The Departed. I've seen half of The Departed. Okay. So. So 1.5 Scorsese movies. Yeah, I had, seen, I had seen. Well, I don't know. Maybe there's more and I just didn't have any idea. But I've definitely seen The Aviator. I saw it in the theater when it came out. I think I was with dad or maybe the whole family. Like, were you I there? think it was the whole family. Again, dad was like, there's a Leo movie out. Let's go. <laughs> no, it was totally one of those films that dad was excited about because it would give us some historical education. And we all went as a family to go see the Spruce Goose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, when we, we were kids, when we, we were went. little. Yep, there's a picture of you're like a baby in that. I know we still lived in L.A. Yeah, I mean, I'm grateful for that. I was I always liked that Dad always wanted us to know stuff, and now when I know things about history that other people don't, I feel like privately thrilled. <laughs> oh my god! One time, someone at work was like, 
they were talking about how these buildings near our office were part of the Underground Railroad. And they were like, yeah, I don't know why once they got to the north, they needed to be hidden. And I was like, because of the Fugitive Slave Act, you idiot. (laughs) Oh, God. And they were so surprised that I knew what that was. And they were like, how do you know what that is? And I was like. I went to friggin' school, you idiot. (laughs) I think what I said is I went to high school. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so. I hope you didn't say that. No, I didn't really say that. Okay. I didn't really say that. <laughs> I, mean, I think I said I, something like, "Oh, I was actually just listening to a podcast about the Underground Railroad the other day," which wasn't yes. true. <laughs> I mean, at least we know why we had a civil war and that Hitler used chemical warfare on his own people. True, we know that. True. Also, smart. fun story about our dad. One time, this is one of our favorite <laughs> stories about our dad. <laughs> this. <laughs> So our dad was like really into the Civil War for a while. He gets, the Civil War it, also gives all white dudes the feels. Yeah. So he. Oh, and you know, because like we had relatives that probably fought on the wrong side. Um, <laughs> but we don't need to go into that. We have a relative Shameful. named Martin. We have a relative named Martin Van Buren Bodenhammer. Anyway. <laughs> Mom's like going to think fir- that's too much personal information. I don't care. Martin Van Buren, his his first name was Martin Van Buren. All one word, but it helps if you say it with, with like a very old-timey Southern accent. Martin Van Buren Ma- Bodenhammer. Ma- yeah. Martin Van Buren Bodenhammer. That's great. Anyway, so we're all sitting down to dinner, and we're just, you know, what'd you do today? Blah, blah, blah. And then dad looks up and goes, girls, what do you know about the Civil War? Who were the generals? <laughs> Oh, my God. And none of us behaved like appropriate humans and just answered his question. We all just dissolved. And it was all three of us. And we all dissolved into, like, a fit of giggles and, like, couldn't finish our food. It was so random and so ridiculous. And his feelings were really hurt. But, like, we just couldn't even keep it together. I know. I know. And then then mom was, like, upset with us. But at the same time was also, like, (laughs) what is going on here? But I'm grateful that our dad was that way because we know a lot of stuff that people, other people don't know, or at least don't feel is important enough to keep in their brains. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, we had to keep it in our brains because sometimes we had pop quizzes at dinner. <laughs> Girls. <laughs> so, so anyway. You'd seen The Aviator before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember that I loved it, but I thought it was really long and I didn't understand some of it. Like the whole uh hearing and what was going on with the congressman i didn't get that at all oh, okay like i saw it a few more times and it was like but it was like like it was with catch me if you can i saw pieces of it because it's so long like but when it comes on tv you're like oh i'm gonna watch this but usually it's like halfway through and it's only a scenes and then you go do something else like you have to be very committed to watch this film mm-hmm. so this time i was committed and i'm 13 years older and I understood mm-hmm. it better. And I liked it even more. Uh, Leo was amazing. And they did a really good job dealing with mental illness. Like mm-hmm. not making it funny or scary. Just very real and sad and painful, which is what it is. So Leo captured like the energy of anxiety and the experience of it pers- perfectly. Because like general listeners, as I've mentioned in the past, I have anxiety and I'm not like saying that lightly. I have like generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorder. Mom uh, says, oh, that's too much information. No, we're just sharing our struggle with the people because. In case somebody act- else. Because the thing about like anxiety and panic is that it actually really helps to know that other people go through it too. Totally. Because so you I've- feel like you're totally alone when it's happening. 
Yeah, like this isn't just like nervousness. This is like get no, me no, to the no, hospital. No, 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 no. Yeah, like you actually feel like you're going to die. Mm-hmm. But my generalized anxiety, like it, I feel like um, I tend to obsess about my health and I'm convinced that I like have cancer or pancreatitis or kidney failure. And like when reality, I'm definitely not dying. <laughs> or so, you think there's a bug that's stuck in your throat for like eight hours. Right. Or somebody's mm-hmm. staring at you. Like Howard Hughes had OCD. So like that's where his energy was focused as like being the um, obsessive thoughts and compulsions. But it's still it's an anxiety disorder. Yeah. So it's pretty similar. Um, and when I have like panic attacks, like Meredith said, it's like I'm dying. Like my heart races. I sweat. I get pale. I shake. I get weak and dizzy. It's basically the most terrifying thing in the world. Like I, if I do it, I call Meredith and I'm like, am I dying? <laughs> Yeah, I I would not wish panic attacks. I don't have them as often as you do, but I would not wish them on any person in the world. They come out of nowhere. Except like for nowhere. like maybe members of ISIS and a certain leader of Russia. Yeah. Um, I'm treated now, so it's mostly better, but it's still something that I live with. And I totally like got what Howard was going through. So... Like I said, he had OCD, which is an anxiety disorder. It's in the family of anxiety. Why can't I say it? Anxiety disorders. But his obsessive thoughts were not about his belief that he had cancer. They were about like germs and filth. Mm -hmm. So this time when I watched it, I was less focused on the character and like his accomplishments, like what Howard Hughes did. And I was more focused on how Leo handled mental illness. And I think he did it with respect and accuracy because even though there were times when I was like, wow, this guy's kind of kind of like really out there i would immediately feel his humanity and his pain and i felt compassion for him rather than seeing as him as like a pitiful freak show you know yeah i would also like to officially invite mr scorsese to be a friend of the podcast oh my god of course i feel like he's like the uncle of the podcast though right because i love the way his movies make me feel they're very detailed and they're very like sweeping they're detailed and sweeping, but they also have, like, a very consistent tone to them throughout the whole thing. So, like, you start and you get, like, a feeling, like, this is how I feel when I watch The Aviator. This mm-hmm. is how I feel when I watch Gangs of New York. And even though they're not super pleasant topics, it's enjoyable, you know? Like, you're wrapped up in the world of the story they're telling. I think I'm a Martin Scorsese fan. I think I should see more of his films. And I, again, apologize for not realizing that he directed this. My sincere apologies i'm sure oh. they're accepted <laughs> so uh had you seen this movie i mean I other than the fact that movie. i just the, other than the fact that i just announced that we saw it together um, you yeah but it? i i realized that i need to apologize to the gentle listeners because i lied and i said that the first time i saw this movie it was dubbed in spanish and that's not true i obviously you first friggin saw it liar. In, in the theater with with the family i forgot about that because the most memorable time was at a hotel in mexico and I didn't understand any of it. And I just liked Leo's face. Um, it's really nice in this one. And I remember Kate Blanchett <laughs> being uh, Catherine Hepburn. And I remember being very uncomfortable with that. Why? And I still feel that way. Because she's British? She's not British. Yeah, she is. Oh, Catherine Hepburn? No. Kate oh. Blanchett is British. No. Yeah, she is. I thought you were talking about Catherine No, no, Hepburn. no. She just talks like, with no, them. She just has that mid-Atlantic, that mid-Atlantic yeah, the Mid-Atlantic accent that nobody has anymore. Um, no, I just – there's like uh, this very 
awkward quality to her performance where it feels like she started out doing an impersonation and then started playing the person. Exactly, yes. And so there's this whole scene where she's walking around talking like this. Oh, the calla lilies are in bloom again. And then all of a sudden she starts going, ha, ha, ha. And you're yeah, like, yeah, she does. what? Ha, 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 ha. And you're just like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. Also, did I make it up that Catherine Hepburn liked ladies? Yes. Okay. You absolutely made that up. Why do I think that? Because she, probably because when you were younger, you were confused because she wore like pantsuits and she was, she was known as like kind of a tomboy sort of person. Um, So maybe, okay. you know what, maybe when we were younger, dad said something like that or something, but no, she definitely. No, I don't think he said something like that. I think it was probably just out there in the zeitgeist. I don't think she was bisexual though. She may have been, but. I think that her most famous relationships were with men, so. Yeah, but they wouldn't have really reported on them at the time. It's like, think of all of the people that we now know were gay. At, well, I know. They, they well, didn't yeah, talk but about then, at the time. Then you wouldn't know. You wouldn't, like, we would all know. No, it, she wasn't. Okay. Um, anyway, I found her performance to be, like, kind of obnoxious. Uneven. Uneven, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a very good good thing. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, when you Google Catherine Hepburn lesbian, the third thing down is Gore Vidal confirms that Catherine Hepburn was very slutty. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Which is rude. That's very rude. Excuse me. Um, I would like to weigh in here just like for a moment. Okay. So I also found her performance uneven. Um, I definitely like that first scene when they're golfing. Mm-hmm. And she's like, ah. I I don't know what she said, but she just was like obnoxious, very obnoxious. She didn't have. Okay. And I have to disclose that I'm not actually the biggest Catherine Hepburn fan either. I don't think I've seen a single thing she's in. Yes, you have. Haven't you seen the Philadelphia story? No, sir. Oh, my God. I know what you're doing tomorrow. The Philadelphia story is one of the best movies ever, ever, ever. It has uh, Jimmy Stewart and... um. Oh my God! Um, super Cary Grant. Cary Grant. Yes, it's so 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 good. You have to oh. see it. Actually, I have a very full day tomorrow. Okay, so. well, whenever you can, watch the Philadelphia Story because it's amazing. Are there a lot of mid-Atlantic accents? Oh yes, I can't of do course. It. They're so good. That of accent, course. I wish it hadn't disappeared. Yeah. So, but I'm uh, overall, I'm not like the biggest Catherine Hepburn fan because I find her mid-Atlantic accent like way too much. But I thought that with Kate Blanchett, she, like you said, she started out doing an impersonation. And then where she really got me, where um, I was like, okay, well, I can see why she maybe won an Oscar for this. Um, when she asks him, like, do you know what it means to be a celebrity? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, yeah, of course I do. Like, I've, I've got fair publicity. And she's like, no, no, no. Yeah. Like, that was the scene where I was like, okay, this is why she got an Oscar. Because she's actually doing something with the character instead of just trying to be obviously Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. Um, and I felt like they didn't have any chemistry in the beginning and I thought they got some at the end. Yeah. So maybe that was the very first scene that they filmed was like the golf scene. And she and hadn't, they were like, mm. she hadn't quite gotten it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, when she really like gets it and it's a lot later, it's actually her last scene is the one that like gives me the feels is when she goes to when Howard Hughes is having, yeah, yeah. When she when when she goes to goes to him. him, yeah. During his breakdown, yeah. That's yeah. So good. Well, we've both seen it then. Would you like yeah. some trivia facts for this film? I would love some trivia facts. 
Okay, so here are the trivia facts for the Avatar. Um, remember how Martin Scorsese took a pay cut on Gangs of New York to make it happen? Mm-hmm. So apparently that's kind of a habit of his because he paid $500,000 of his own money to make this movie happen. He's like a very dedicated dude. Man, I wish I was that rich. Well, yeah, but also there, apparently a lot of people wanted to make a biopic of Howard Hughes for a very long time. Like several different studios were like vying to be the one, including Jim Carrey wanted to do it. And I'm like, oh, no, God. Remember when he just kept trying to make serious acting happen for himself and we were like, "Mm, stop trying to make this happen. Only the truth. Oh, you know what, though? Uh, What's the movie he's in with Kate? Oh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I can't watch that. I can't watch it. It hurts. Beautiful movie. It hurts me so badly. I can't watch it. Okay. Uh, Number two, Kate Blanchett won an Oscar for her role, making her the first person to win an Oscar for portraying an Oscar winner. Well, that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's wild. Oh, it's a Should fun I do fact. this whole thing in a Catherine Hepburn accent? No, I will hang up on you and never speak that to you again. That sounds exactly like Jimmy McGumption as a lady, though. It is, kind of. Um, she she also had to watch all of the uh, Catherine Hepburn's mov- all of Catherine Hepburn's movies to learn her mannerisms. Mm. Do you think that when we get through with this, we'll be able to do Leo's mannerisms? I think we can already do them. Maybe. (laughs) Select ones I can do, but I think at the end, because I think there are things that he picks up later that we're really going to be able to do. We should do like some sort of show, like videotape ourselves and put ourselves on YouTube. Put it on the blog. Put it on the blog. (laughs) And we should do a scene from a movie. (laughs) With two Leos where we both just play, or we should both do it and then have the gentle listeners vote on who's better. No, 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 no. We do the man in the iron mask. Oh my God. You have to be Louis, though. That's friggin' rude. <laughs> no, you'd be so much better at it than I would. That's friggin' rude. <laughs> Why? I'm saying you're a more talented actor than I am. No, you're saying I have to be the mean one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, Leon. <laughs> Leo spent time with an actual um, OCD patient named Edward to learn what it feels like to have the disorder. Oh, that's nice of him. I know. Um, Senator Owen Brewster, played by such a sexy man. Oh, my God. God among men. Alan Alda was actually an unattractive fellow, and they couldn't make Alan Alda (laughs) ugly. So (laughs) they tried. They couldn't make him that ugly. So Alan used pictures of Brewster to try to carry that ugliness inside. He's not, like, heinous, but he's he's not hot. You can't make Alan Alda ugly. He's one of those no. actors. He's another one of those actors that feels like my uncle. He doesn't feel like my uncle. <laughs> he feels like my, uh, <laughs> that's weird. But anyway, Alan Alda, Stone Cold Fox. Totally. The house that was shown in the movie as Howard Hughes's house was actually Howard Hughes's house. Oh, cool. Yeah. The one by the um, golf course. Yeah. That was his house. Hmm. The airplane hangar where real Howard Hughes built the spruce group. Spoo- oh, my God. The airplane hangar where real Howard Hughes built the Spruce Goose was the same hangar where they built the Titanic replica. (gasps) Chain of Leos. Chain of friggin' Leos. (laughs) Um, The Aviator was the first movie that Leo's production company was involved with. Appy and Way. So, nice start. Also- Wait, his production company is Appy and Way? Yeah. Like, 
The Road to Rome? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's He could not be more perfect. He's so amazing. Um, the film was completed in 91 days. That's like uh, less time than it takes to watch it. <laughs> like I genuinely did, did they not cut anything out? I'm sure I'm sure the like the actual like version that Martin Scorsese wanted to do was like seven hours long. Ninety years long. He's like, I want to do a film that's exactly the length of time that Howard Hughes lived. You know, 70 oh years. <laughs> no, he want like Martin Scorsese's like final movie, which may have already happened. Um, it will probably just be like a real time movie. Yeah. Like for sure. just forever. It'll just go on forever. Forever. And you can come and sit down and watch it when you feel like it. That's also a completely brilliant project. Oh, my God. Let's cut that so we can do it. Yeah. Okay. Don't steal our idea. Trademark. Trademark, trademark. <laughs> I work I work for attorneys and they can do trademarks and I will do it if you threaten us. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. <laughs> um, Howard Hughes was actually 6'4", whereas Leo is six feet tall. So in all those scenes where he's hollering at people, just imagine being him being like four inches taller. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, those are my, uh, those are my facts. So, background time. Background time. Let's do it. So, how we're going to do this movie is a little different this time. Since the movie is a biopic, we're going to talk about Howard Hughes first, and then with our newfound knowledge of his life, we can talk about specific scenes because this movie is almost three hours long, and we don't need to tell you everything that happens. Yeah, Leo's like full Justin Timberlaking these days. He is. He's like, he's like, I don't want anybody else to have movies, so I'm just going to make mine longer. Mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese says he's like, that's a wrap. And Leo's like, no, 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 forty five more minutes. <laughs> he he's like, I feel like I could really do it justice if you just give me forty five <laughs> more minutes, Martin. And then he goes and bribes. He's like, I'm very rich. How much money do I need to get you to not edit anything out of this film? Um, also, some plot points in this movie are way more worthy of discussion than others. So, are you ready for the life of yes. Howard Hughes? A- and Ooh. also, the background of the movie. <laughs> yes. Let's let's buckle into this Bruce Goose. Yes. And let's get, put, get, get flying here. Put, put your uh, flying goggles on. Here we go. And they're on. I have my scarf flapping in the wind. Excellent. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, so The Aviator was released on my birthday, 2004, also known as Christmas Day, 2004. When Leo Happy was birthday. Thank you. When Leo was 31 years old. He's almost my age now here. This is like him, in my He's in my, you know, my little my little uh bubble of like ages that are okay. Um, Wait, I remember he went on Oprah for this and uh-huh. o- he had just turned 31 and Oprah was like, "31 is when men become men. You're just you're blossoming, Leo." And she and he got all like blushed and stuff. <laughs> and and I've had it in my head ever since then that 31 is the best age for me. Also, she's right. <laughs> yeah, no, she's totally right. So in 2004, I turned 21, which means that I was finally of age for Leo. Like, what a year. Yes, it's true. Wait, no way. That's not right. Okay, whatever. Because he's nine years older than me, not 10. But that's okay. Anyway, the movie was Leo and Martin Scorsese's second collaboration, the first being Gangs of New York. It also starred Kate Blanchett, as we mentioned, Kate Beckinsale. So he's like, can I just have all the Kates around me? Um, all of them. He couldn't have the one he wanted, so he had so to he take just, the rest. He, yeah. Yeah, because Catherine Hepburn, he calls her Kate in the movie. Mm-hmm. Alan Alda, Alec Baldwin, John C. Riley, Adam Scott, 
who you know oh. as oh Ben from Parks and Recreation. Benjamin Wyatt. Oh, <laughs> every time just, he comes on, is the just screen. packed with sexy people. It really is. It's too many sexy people. Um, it has appearances by Gwen Stefani, Jude Law, and Willem Dafoe. I think that if you are a star in a movie, and other people who are genuinely stars play like bit roles in your movie, mm-hmm. you're like that's you're legendary. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And there's probably some more people in here there too. I just forgot them. But it was star studded. Um, it was the first uh, first Scorsese movie to make one million dollars at the box. No, not one million. <laughs> one one million dollars. <laughs> he always failed before. No, one hundred million dollars at the box office and earned nice. Leo his second Oscar nomination. Which, Which he is was really much delayed. Oh, seriously. But he was violently robbed of it by, do you know? I do. I'm going to tell you so. Do you know? Uh, um, no, I don't know. Jamie Foxx for Ray. Jamie oh, Foxx. But that he was really good. Let me just say it one more time. Jamie Foxx. Leo was nominated for an Academy Award and he lost to Jamie Foxx. Remember how Jamie Foxx did that thing with his teeth and cried about his grandma? No, I don't. I didn't yeah. see Ray. No, Ray is really good. And ah. Jamie Foxx is like, like you can't tell that it's not Ray Charles. Okay, fine. It's like Ray Charles just like came back from the dead and was in his own movie. Fine. Also I nominated know. that year were Don Cheadle, Clint Eastwood, uh, who also known as Scott Eastwood's father, and mm-hmm. enemy of the podcast, Johnny Depp. Leo did, however, win the Golden Globe that year, which Good. I think is more fun than an Oscar. So at least someone acknowledged his wonder. Mm-hmm. All right. Ready for the next part? Yes. <laughs> so the movie was the movie. God, I'm having, the the movie. Time. I'm having the hardest time talking. All right. So the movie was based on the life of Howard Hughes, a super handsome, super intense, very, very rich businessman, inventor, innovator, film director, and of course, aviator, who was known as one of the most successful businessmen in the world during the 1930s and 40s. He was hot stuff. And if you Google him, he really was. Hmm, I'm going to go- do that right now. Yeah, do it right now. Just Howard tell me. Howard Hughes. I can't believe I haven't done this before. Whoa. Yeah. he's Actually, he looks, like, he looks like Adam Scott. He's hot. Do you think Adam Scott auditioned for Howard Hughes? Probably. Oh, and, and then, then he and then Leo walked in after and he was like, F. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, OK, do you have any rules for me? <laughs> Wait, no, this is crazy. He like really looks like Adam Scott. He was hot. He's also smoking until he got older. We can't all age well. Whoa. <laughs> somebody, somebody talk about a strong nose. <laughs> My goodness. Howard Hughes, they did he, not make you ugly, let me no, tell you. No, they didn't. They didn't. But he wasn't Leo handsome. He no. was just really Nobody good looking. Is. He was just really good looking. So now I'm going to tell you about his life. Ready? Okay, please do. I'm going to look he- at pictures of him while you do. <laughs> Howard Hughes was born on either September 24th or December 24th, 1905. In either Humble, Texas or Houston, Texas. Uh, what? The confusion comes from conflicting records of his birth. So he didn't have an actual birth certificate. So years later, his birth certificate was like certified and by his aunt and uncle. And um, 
it said that his birthday was December 24th, 1905 in Humble, Texas. But his baptism records at the Episcopal Church said that he was born September 24th in Houston, Texas. I so I mean, it's just a crazy knows. world that like for a long time, people like didn't know how old they were or where they were born mm-hmm. or when they were born. And now birthdays are like you take the day off of work and you dedicate it to yourself and people take a whole because week I to go party. <laughs> and some people go, it's my birthday month. And you're like, no, no you don't get a month. I don't even give people a week. I'm like, you get a weekend you get a, tops. No. You get a month if you survived some sort of terrible thing and you lived. Then you can have a month. Other than that, one day. Yeah. What do you think? Um, You're special for being born just like the rest of us? <laughs> <laughs> but he was uh, definitely descended from the preacher who baptized George Washington. <gasps> I love George mm-hmm. Washington. And yeah. So he's of like a family that was here like a very long time, you know? Well, that's nice. Yeah. His father was a successful businessman who and inventor who invented some kind of drill bit that made it possible to access oil, and that made him very, very rich. Mm, natch. Little Howard Hughes was a tiny little genius in science and technology. At 11, he built the first wireless radio in Houston. He also built a motorized bicycle, which I assume is a motorcycle, but I don't really know, and was the first boy in Texas to have one. Wow. So he was just like an engineer from like day one. He was just like badassing all over the place. Uh huh. His mother died in 1922 from an ectopic pregnancy. Oh, yeah, that's awful. Because it sucks. Because it sucks to be a woman. Ugh. Tell me about it. His father died of a heart attack two years later. Oh, leaving man. Howard. Yeah, seriously, leaving Howard with a ridiculous amount of money and grief and grief. <laughs> I thought you were going to be leaving Howard with a broken heart and you're like leaving him with an enormous amount of money. Like, no, no, no. It it wasn't just an enormous amount of money. It was an enormous amount of money. Like enormous. He got married at 19 and moved to Los Angeles to be a filmmaker. Um, He actually won the Best Director Oscar in 1928. Actually, many of his movies were uh, nominated for Oscars as well. And this is the beginning of where our movie, The Aviator, starts. Hold up. Huh. Do you want to know how much his net worth was when he died in today's money? It was $546 million. And today, it's $3.8 billion. Whoa. Yeah. So he was a big deal. He was a big deal. Yeah. So when the movie begins, Howard is on the set of Hell's Angels, a movie with a bunch of airplanes flying around that is ridiculously expensive. The actual movie cost um, $3.8 million to produce, which in today's money, I have no idea how much that would be, but a lot. So the actual movie cost $3.8 million, and it made twice that at the box office and was a major success. Nice. He later, produ- he later produced Scarface, which was uh, criticized for its violence, and The Outlaw, which was criticized for focusing too much on actress Jane Russell's breasts, or mammaries, as they are referred to in this movie. Good Lord. Because, as Leo says in the film, who doesn't like tits? I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> Name one person who's like, I'd rather not. Everybody wants to see everybody naked. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> Hughes invented a special bra to maximize Jane Russell's cleavage, but she found it too uncomfortable and refused to wear it. So good girl. Yeah, right on. 
Aside from making films, Hughes was also an engineer and inventor in aviation. He started taking flying lessons at age 14 and had big dreams when it came to aviation. He founded Hughes Aircraft Company in 1932. Um, he founded Howard. <laughs> he founded Hughes a Aircraft. <laughs> can't. He founded Hughes Aircraft Company in 1932 and eventually became a major aerospace and defense contractor for the government. He survived four plane crashes. Whoa, that's like Harrison Ford level. Mm-hmm. Including the one in the movie where he crashed into a house and burned 78% of his body. Oof. He set several records, including fastest plane in the HR1 racer, fastest trip across uh, the country, and fastest trip, fastest trip around the world. Nice. For the trip around the world, he was hailed as a hero and given a big parade. Why was he a hero? Because he went. Because he was making America look good by going around the world. Oh, okay. Yeah, we should have more parades for people. We should have when they do stuff. Well, yeah. <laughs> Howard Hughes was known as a playboy, and like the man uh, who played him, he was known for dating women decades younger than he was. Mm -hmm. All gorgeous. Mm -hmm. He was involved with Betty Davis, Ava Gardner, Olivia de Havilland, Catherine Hepburn, Ginger Rogers, Rita Hayworth, and Jean Tierney. Wow. So basically, all the women that you think of when you think of like a classic movie star, you know? Mm -hmm. Not all of them, but like this is the golden age of Hollywood and these are like the first starlets. Mm -hmm. um, Howard Hughes was also possibly part of the cause for Watergate. What? Apparently, Hughes has some had some illicit dealings with Nixon and his brother. Well, who didn't? And some think that the Watergate break-in was partially to find out what was known about the dealings with Hughes, which was actually nothing. Former uh, Vice President Herbert Humphrey wanted to feed misinformation to Nixon and said he knew about Hughes and Nixon, but he really didn't. But Nixon still freaked out and sent people to find out what he knew. That's because Nixon was crazy. Yeah, I know. And finally, Howard Hughes suffered from mental illness. He was known for being, quote unquote, eccentric back before people knew anything about mental health. But he wasn't eccentric. He had OCD. Not like he just liked his house clean. Not like he washed his hands a lot and was weird about germs like real OCD. So here, I'd like to take a little moment for a little education on OCD. Okay. Okay. OCD is a mental health disorder which a person has chronic obsessive thoughts and compulsions. Obsessive thoughts are commonly about things like order, cleanliness, germs, symmetry, but it can be about anything. Compulsions are repeated behaviors tied to the thoughts like cleaning a lot, washing and scrubbing like a lot, organizing, arranging, uh, repetition of words, phrases, or rituals, like checking the door a certain amount of times, not stepping on cracks, scrubbing your hands exactly 100 times, etc. In the movie, Howard is concerned with cleanliness and germs, um, separating and also separates his peas by size, which is something that he really did and didn't let them touch. Um, he washed his hands until they bled and um, he eventually became very paranoid. People with OCD can't control their thoughts or compulsions. Their lives are disrupted by their disorder, and they get no pleasure from their rituals, only brief relief from anxiety. So it's treatable now. It wasn't in Howard's day, and there's no shame in getting help. So if you're suffering from this, let your doctor know. 
because there are treatments and um, it's totally better. The more to you be- know. <laughs> it's better to be on meds and happy than resist and be out of control. Trust me. So one of the most painful parts of the aviator is watching Howard suffer from OCD, particularly when he locks himself in a studio and sits naked talking to someone through a microphone while holding on to tissues and peeing into empty milk bottles. That really happened. Heward, uh, Heward. (laughs) 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 That's a terrible name. Howard Hughes locked himself in his studio for four months. Four months he never left. He only ate uh, chicken and chocolate and drank only milk and didn't see anyone. What was with the milk stuff? He's like obsessed with milk in this. He just likes milk. (laughs) Mm, Okay. Uh, This was one of my favorite parts of the movie. And I guess it's like not only Leo, but it was the like the direction that I liked here. Whenever Howard, Hughes, whenever Howard Hughes is having a mentally difficult time, there's always like really jerky close-ups, and the sound changes to where um, sounds that would normally be prominent, like people talking or music, move to the background, and smaller, more specific sounds come forward. Like mm-hmm. water dripping or flash bulbs flashing or nails tapping. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what it feels like to have a panic attack. Yeah. Very specific things become very loud and important. And in the scene where he's in the studio, he's walking around naked. The projection of the movie is just like on his bare skin. And his disease is just like on full display. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing between him and like nothing between him and the world to hide him anymore. Yeah. Um, and then when people come to the door to talk to him, he has to try to pull it together to talk to them. And he thinks he's getting away with it, but everyone knows. Yeah. And despite how sick he is, despite like how no one can reach him, he still has to go on with life. So for the real Howard Hughes, <clears throat> his OCD got worse after the plane crash where he was burned. So not only did he have all these obsessive thoughts and compulsions, um, his body was also in pain. It hurt him to wear clothes because he had a condition called allodynia, which causes the central nervous system to send out pain signals when they normally wouldn't. So like, that's why he took off his clothes because they hurt him. So he would sit, uh, most of the time, like with a napkin, just like over his junk and he wouldn't cut his hair or cut his nails because it hurt him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he um, he actually sat naked a lot because it hurt him to wear clothing. I mean, I'm all for it. So, <laughs> so a lot of the movie focuses on his issues with Senator Owen Brewster, who was working uh, for the owner of Pan Am. And Hughes owned the controlling shares in TWA, and Pam- Pan Am didn't want TWA to fly across the Atlantic. Um. They wanted to be the only ones who did it. So they wrote a bill, which Brewster introduced to the Senate, barring any airline but Pan Am from flying transatlantic flights, which is so ridiculous. It's so douchey. It's a government it's so douchey. monopoly. It's ridiculous. And every time he used the word monopoly, they'd be like, no, 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 it's not that. It's like, actually, yeah, that's exactly what it's it is. That's exactly what this is. And anybody who's played that board game can tell you. so during the hearing Hughes basically demolished Senator Brewster by calling him out for being in the pocket of Pan Am he does this after just after his four months in the studio and like many people who suffer from mental illness he's able to pull it together 
like for the public and just like go and kick ass. Yeah. However, Howard was not well. He became a recluse afterwards, only had his hair and nails cut once a year, Ooh. and continued to urinate in bottles. Why Why did he do that? I don't know. He just liked it? I, I don't know. Maybe because they were contained? Like he could see where it was? I don't know. Hmm. Um, he, he lived in a hotel penthouse and moved to Las Vegas because the desert is clean. He says that in the movie, the desert's clean. Which is in, actually insane. The desert, desert is filthy. <laughs> Hughes became addicted to injected codeine later in life Ooh. because of the pain in his body, and his health began to fail. He died on April 5th, 1975, of kidney failure. At the time of his death, he was 6'4", he weighed 90 pounds. Oh, dear. And they had to finger pr- use fingerprints to identify his body. He's buried in Houston, Texas. His estate was split between 22 cousins in 1983 after years of fake wills appearing, naming everyone from his ex-wives to the Mormon church as the beneficiaries of his will. The Mormon church? Yeah. Okay. He wasn't Mormon. He wasn't Mormon. Yeah. So for all his success and fame, Howard Hughes was a super sad character. Hmm. That is really hard. And I, but I wonder, like, how much of his success was because of his mental illness, like his serious attention to detail and obsession with things being perfect. Like, those are some of the characteristics characteristics that made him so successful. And I wonder if he hadn't have suffered from OCD, if he would have had the same level of success, or would he have had more success? Yeah, you know? it's hard to tell because the Who real knows? the real main factor in his success was the billions of dollars that he had. <laughs> but I mean he didn't yeah and he was he did inherit them but he also made more Um, so now that we've got Howard Hughes story let's talk about the movie let's the first thing I want to talk about is Leo of course oh my god this movie did not star Leo actually it he played second fiddle to the real stars the Hinkle McCrinkleberries the two concern creases between his eyes Mr. and Mrs. Hinkle McCrinkleberry who started an entire colony mm-hmm. that they colonized his forehead they are yeah. now it's now an empire it wasn't just Mr. and Mrs. they had a family and there were grandchildren and great grandchildren all over his forehead and it was stealing a real the show. it was a real fiesta from start to finish it was amazing yeah i mean there's pretty much never a moment in this movie when M- Mr. and Mrs. McCrinkleberry are not present. Exactly. And then their children and grandchildren all come out when things get really rough. He's figured out how to employ them to really express like uh, fear, anger, worry, concern, curiosity, anxiety, desperation, concentration. I mean, the list goes on and on. Constipation? Excuse me. Constipation. <laughs> uh, they've made appearances in past films, of course, but... This was like really their time to shine. Yeah. Like this is this really the first time movie. that they were his primary acting tool. Totally. And it worked. It yeah. Because it, it expresses deep anguish. Um, the second thing I wanted to talk about is the accent that he had. Mm-hmm. So Leo actually spent time with Jane Russell to learn all about Howard Hughes and to get her. <gasps> Jane Russell. You know Jane oh Russell. Oh my God. I have met her, which means. My one degree to Leo is one, one. degree. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, he met with her to learn all about Howard Hughes as a person and to get her tips and approval on the accent. So we can assume that it's a pretty accurate accent. 
he used the same voice coach as he did on Gangs of New York for his for the Irish accent. Good, because that guy sounded like he knew what he was doing. Yeah, so he actually really is good at accents, and I wouldn't be surprised if he could do a really good British accent as well. But I would love to hear Australian. That would slay me. That would be oh. amazing. Mm, he'd make a nice Australian. He would make an amazing Australian. I can't even believe that he isn't Australian. And I'm sure he can already do a German one, like, amazingly. Doesn't he speak German? Yes. Yeah. Anyway, how do you feel about everything I just said? <laughs> um, This movie is actually really hard for me. Leo is so good in this movie that he makes OCD contagious. And it's so stressful for me to watch him be in such anguish that, like, I feel anxious, like, watching him, you know, Howard Hughes out. And then I think... I, I think I washed my hands probably 12 times within the hour after watching this movie. Yeah, it's not a good movie for me to watch. It makes me feel very anxious because I just think about how trapped Howard Hughes must have felt. But Leo is so good at making me think that. However, um, I mean, thank goodness the hand washing does not persist. I'm perfectly fine. Um, but this movie actually made me realize that Leo is not a chameleon of an actor. I'm always aware that he's Leonardo DiCaprio. And that there's like two distinct types of actors. There's actors that completely disappear into their roles and you forget that it's them. Uh, like Daniel Day-Lewis. You forget that it's him. Unfortunately, Johnny Depp before he just started doing Pirates movies back to back. Um, like you would forget that it was him. But Leo, you're always aware that it's Leo acting. That doesn't mean he's not a great actor. It just means that... You know, you're always aware that it's him. Um, but I became aware of that while watching this movie. But in particular, the the scenes where he's like breaking down and peeing in the bottles in the studio and stuff are just like t utter torture for me. Like they actually give me anxiety to watch. So so I got a contact I got contact OCD and realized that Leo is always Leo. <laughs> I agree with you because. <laughs> I agree with you, but not about the contact OCD. I didn't get that. But I did, like, in the scenes um, where he's really suffering, I started to get a lot of anxiety, too. And yeah. I think it was, like, empathetic um, anxiety where it's like, oh, my God, dude, I know how that feels. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, I know how you feel right now. And then the other thing that is I actually also realized in this movie that I am always aware that he's Leo. Mm -hmm. which I I don't want that to sound like I'm saying he's not good at what he does. It's no, just no, that no, that's not what we're saying at all. He's such a like, I think it's because he's such a star. He's such a prominent figure in our culture that we're always aware. So I would be like watching this. Mm -hmm. He's like pretending, you know, doing his thing with like the OCD. And I'm like, oh my God, he is so good. But I think that actually might be why Another reason yeah. that people, like, everyone is aware that he's so good is because you're always aware that it's him. Even if you're lost in the story, yeah. you know he's telling a story. You're not like, mm -hmm. oh, my God, that's, you know, that that guy is Howard Hughes. You're yeah. just like, which, like, when you talked about Jamie Foxx, maybe that's why he won that year. Yeah, because you forget that that's Jamie Foxx. Right, and you never forget it's Leo because he's very distinct looking, and he has, like, certain mannerisms that are his own. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that takes away from his talent at all. No, I don't think so either. I think it's it's just a different type of acting. So wait, did you like this movie? You haven't said. 
I don't know is the thing if I like this movie or not. It's definitely not my favorite. I don't okay. enjoy watching it, but I respect mm-hmm. it greatly. Okay. I'll put it that way. So it's like the kind of movie um, that you'd want to watch once, but it's not like forever. Like it's not yeah, going to enter the rotation. Yeah, it's like Schindler's List. Okay. Which I still have never seen. <laughs> important to see, but like not going to be. No, it's important to see, but it's not like you put it on for a Friday night film. Right. Like I'd watch The Beach like right now. Yeah, or Catch Me If You Can, or even or, Gangs of New York. Uh, Gangs of New York. Watch. I'd actually, yeah. 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 I, I really watch most of them just for fun, but this is not a movie I would watch for fun. It's just too close to home. Yeah. Actually, for me, it's too close to home. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, but it was too close to home. Yeah, I don't like be having anxiety triggered. It happens enough as it is. <laughs> exactly. Um, do you have, so I prepared top three favorite scenes. Did you? I did. All right. Number three. What's your number three? Okay, so I wrote weird notes, and I would like for you to guess what it is based off of what I titled it. Oh, geez. Okay. My third scene, Ava shaves. What? I said Ava shaves. So it's Ava Gardner. Mm-hmm. Shaves? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, when he's like, uh, when she comes to help him. Yes. And she's yes. helping to, like, clean him up and make him look good. Yeah. When Ava yeah. Gardner goes to his house and he, ha- he has the germ-free zone and all of the tissues oh everywhere. Oh, my God. That's so horrible. And she walks into – she thinks it's just in the area that she's walked into. And then she walks in to get a drink in another room and turns on the light. And she realizes he's done it everywhere. He basically has, like, these strings. He's created, like, spider webs. Yeah, all around, like, blocking off certain areas, and he's convinced that this one area is germ-free. Yeah. And then she, like, takes him into the bathroom and shaves his face, and, like, he doesn't want to rinse off his face with the water. And Mm -hmm. she's like, there's nothing there. It's okay. You just have to do it. Yeah. And she's very sweet to him. And like, you she know, is she very ha- sweet to him. She has a firm hand, but she also, you know, is empathetic to the fact that like he has no control over this. I like Kate, I like Kate, I Kate Beckinsale. Really, yeah. I also really like Ava Gardner a lot too, though. Yeah. Also, Ava's a good name. Mm hmm. Um, my number three, I don't have little titles for you like that, but. Okay. Um, so Catherine Hepburn and Howard Hughes were super seriously involved. Like they lived together and they were, but eventually they grow apart because of fame and also because of Howard's obsession with work and his love for because women. Of, of Spencer Tracy. And, and finally, because Catherine met and fell in love with Spencer Tracy, which is like one of the great Hollywood romances of all time. Mm-hmm. So she comes in and she like announces that she's in love with someone else. And she's so straightforward and no nonsense. She's just like, let's just get this over with. I'm in love with someone else. (laughs) That's the way you should do it, man. It's basically the opposite of who I am as a person. I'm 100% nonsense. (laughs) So I find it, I found it like simultaneously charming and irritating because I was like, don't do that. You're going to hurt his feelings. But also like, wow, that takes a lot of balls. (laughs) Like That's amazing. No, I, I feel like that's just how we should all do it. You know, no messing around. No fuss. Just get in there and get it done. Yeah. But anyway, she leaves Howard and he goes downhill. He takes all his clothes outside and burns them in a big bonfire. And he's just standing there naked. We saw so much Leo butt in this. There's a lot of Leo butt. Um, It's like a funny little butt. 
A whole lot of Leo. Oh, that's a whole lot of Leo butt cry, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he's just standing there naked watching it burn. And he's in this like daze where he looks detached, but kind of lost. But also you can totally tell that he thinks his actions are reasonable. Mm -hmm. So he calls John C. Riley in the middle of the night and he wakes him up and asks him to go get him a new wardrobe. Like in the middle of the night. Yeah. And he's like, from pennies. No, no, no. Woolworths. No, no, no. Pennies. Like, what did I say? Did I say pennies? I better make it Sears. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny, but it's also like, oh my God, what is happening here? Yeah. And also, the- working for this man would have been a nightmare. Oh, but people, but they loved him, you know? Yeah. And also, he's rich. And also, he's rich. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the first moments in the movie where you really see him start to unravel. And I, I mean, you like see bits of it before then, but this is the first time when you see it like like he's really unwell mm-hmm. and that they don't make it a freak show. It's just like, yeah. this is what he's doing. So I felt like sad for him and I empathized with him. Is it empathized with him or for him? With him. With him. I empathized with him. Just like watching him stand near that bonfire butt naked trying to cleanse himself of the pain that he's feeling. It's just like, oh, my God, like that. uh, It hurt. It hurt really bad. But I also just thought that was an amazing scene. Yeah. Like just the fact that John C. Riley answers the phone like he's not like, what the hell are you calling me for? He's just like, "Okay, all right, cool. And then he says to his wife, like, he's just going to call back if I don't (laughs) answer the phone. Yeah. So they know him and they're kind of because at this time there was no treatment for this. So they kind of just had to like do whatever to keep him safe and happy you know yeah yeah it seemed it's it almost seemed like a really nice time where everyone was just really chill about mental illness that's (laughs) not really what happened and they all like really make an effort to keep him out of hospitals because hospitals Mm -hmm. were so bad right yeah um so what's your number two uh Pee bottles. Are you gonna do the thing again? Oh, pee bottles. Yeah, I know what that is. Yeah, Go ahead. pee bottles. Well, that that specific image where so okay, so uh, Howard has locked himself in in the screening room in his office or whatever. He's naked. He's has the tissues getting the chicken delivered in bags at forty five degree angles, and um, you see exactly him exactly forty five degree angle. If it is different, you have to start over. Yes. Um, and so there, there's an image of Leo, but naked, peeing into a milk bottle, and then he picks it up and takes it over and puts it next to another pee bottle, and then the camera pulls out, and it's more pee bottles than you thought possible. It's like it's, it's so like many pee bottles that you're just like, ah, and it's not healthy pee, my friends. This man no, is no, no, it is orange pee. Um, it reminds me of that scene in Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where they there's like uh, a soldier. the Gettysburg scene yeah where they, they pull, pull out and you see all of the wounded soldiers and you're like mother ever or in like Titanic <laughs> they do that too in Titanic when they like you they're focusing on like a small amount of the people in the water and then they pull back and you see how many people are there this is like that but with urine bottles <laughs> yeah and you're like this is not a good situation no, no actually so no, that no. I'm gonna Again, say that this. but that that shot though where they pull out and it's so many pee bottles is mm-hmm. the most anxiety-producing image that I can think of. Oh, wow. Really? Like, sometimes I just think about it in life, like, walking around, and I'm like, oh, my God, there's so much no. pee bottles. The anxiety one for me is when he's washing his hands and he makes them bleed. Oh. 
that and he can't and the guy asks him uh to get a towel for him and he you can see he's just like <coughs> i know this is weird i can't do it and the guy's on crutches and he's like god what an asshole yeah. <laughs> but you can see like he feels bad that he can't do it you know yeah all right so my number two is they go to this amazing club the kind where people who are Texas and women are walking around in costumes selling cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And there's like a live band. Um, where did you notice who was singing in the live band? Uh, Rufus Wainwright. That's correct. Of course That's I correct. Did. Love me some Rufus. Oh, I know. Because um. <laughs> he wrote that song, The Art Teacher. I really like that song. Which actually I always wanted to turn that that song into a movie and have leo play the lecherous arch teacher art teacher i think he'd be really good at that um that so this scene like almost has kind of a baz lerman feel to it not quite Mm -hmm. but kind of like it's it's a gatsby party it's a gatsby party basically but not as cool um and howard hughes and Catherine hepburn are there having dinner and adam scott i don't know his character's name i'm just gonna call him adam scott Benjamin and Wyatt. Ju- <laughs> Benjamin Wyatt and <laughs> and Jude Law playing Errol Flynn. If you don't know who Errol Flynn is, A, Google him. B, he's amazing. Um, so Errol Flynn and Adam Scott come over and start bugging them. Uh, and Howard Hughes sets uh starts to get a little overwhelmed by the whole thing. And mm-hmm. I get really overwhelmed really easily in busy settings with lots of people. And this is what it feels like. Everyone is talking at once at the same volume and you could hear words, but you can't really focus on what any one person is saying. Mm -hmm. So I started to get anxiety when it was happening because it was so accurate. Yeah. And then Errol Errol Flynn leans over and grabs one of Howard Hughes's peas, carefully separated peas, by the way, right off his plate with his hands and eats it. And Howard Mm -mm -mm. Hughes is like, oh, my God, it's contaminated. Like WTF, dude. I can't eat this. And they do these really close-up shots of the meat. It's And I just like how they slowly introduce you to the illness. So you're not yeah. like swimming in anxiety from the first moment. It's like slowly introduced. And that was another one of the like the first moments when you're just like, oh, this poor guy. Yeah. Um, so Howard can't even stay at the table. He has to leave. And Adam Scott's like, where are you going? And Howard Hughes says, we have somewhere to be. And um, uh, and Adam Scott says, Howard, you are somewhere. And he says, somewhere else. <laughs> and they leave and they go flying. And on the plane ride, he's drinking milk out of a bottle. And you see him really think about it. And then he offers some to Catherine and she takes it. And then he kind of stares at the lip of the bottle for a moment f- before he takes a big sweak. swig. Mm. And I like that moment. Because it's like you just saw how hard it is for him to share if somebody Mm -hmm. touches his plate. Mm -hmm. But now he's like, I actually really care about this person. I trust this person. And so he shares his milk bottle. Yeah. All right. What's your number one? I wrote creepy speakeasy flirting. Uh, When he's like, let me touch you with my fingertips. (laughs) Yes. So in the same speakeasy. Do you, do you, do you like how that feels? No, no, no. <laughs> I, let me let me go. So in the same speakeasy setting, this a cigarette girl comes over and she's very, very pretty. And he starts just being a total creeper. And he's like, can I, can I touch your leg? He sounds a little <laughs> bit like George W. Bush. <laughs> like Will Ferrell being George W. Bush. Well, yeah, um, Texas. Yeah. And, he, so he, and then he's like, 
what what gives you pleasure? I'd like oh, to learn. God. And you're like, ah, please stop talking. This is so uncomfortable. This is I'd this like is why learn. we need feminism. <laughs> this is horrifying. And then he asks her out and she says yes. And I'm like, dude, she couldn't say no. But it gives you like an idea as to like how charismatic and and whatnot this dude was. And hot. And hot. And rich. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'll get yeah, you. Yeah, I don't know why. That scene always sticks with me. And I because I'm I always like, like oh, too. he's so creepy. But you're okay he, with yeah. him for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh mine is one we already talked about. My favorite scene is when he locks himself in the studio and sits naked watching movies for four months. And he mm-hmm. looks kind of like a caveman. And his hair is long and unkempt, and his nails are like ridiculously long. And he's sitting in this room, basically locked away with his illness controlling him. And people try to come see him, but he won't let them in. And Catherine comes to try to coax Mm -hmm. him out or help him. And even though they broke up and she's now with Spencer Tracy, she still comes to help him. And something about the fact that. No, she comes to thank him. Well, no, she because he bought the paparazzi photos of her and Spencer Tracy on the beach wearing bathing suits and being within a foot of each other. Oh my goodness! Well, he's married. The scandal clutching the scandal was because the scandal was because he was married. Oh, whoopsies! Whoopsies! (laughs) But she also came because to help him. I mean, when she's Mm -hmm. there, she tries to help him, Um, even though he was like pretty uncool to her when they broke up. I mean, he screamed at her that she was just a movie star and nothing more, which made me laugh because I was aware that it was Leo saying it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's funny. But she shows up for him and tells him that she can take the wheel for him and help him. And I mean, honestly, that's all everyone ever, anyone ever wants is for someone but, to be like, I got this. But then she never shows up in the movie again. I know, I know, I know. But like, you know, I've got this. I know you're not doing well and you need help, so don't worry about it. I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, no, that's a nice I, scene. I just like it when people love each other even when they don't love each other anymore, you know? And she's mm-hmm. just like, I actually care about you and I really want to help you and I'll I'll take the wheel. And And he actually like softens and talks to her like not putting on the front of being okay. Yeah. He doesn't let her in and or anything, but he still softens. And then he actually does come out of the room later. So Yeah. That's my favorite scene. That was a good scene. All right. How many yeah. Oscars are you gonna give Leo? Fourteen. Fourteen. And, and he should have gotten a real one. I'm gonna give him the real one and I'm gonna give him fourteen. Wait, what do you mean you're gonna give him the real one I'm and giving him give the you- real Oscar? You don't have it. How do you know? Because it belongs to Jamie Foxx. Maybe I took it from him. You don't know Jamie Foxx. You don't know what I've been doing with my time recently. If you met Jamie Foxx, you'd call me and be like, I just met Jamie Foxx. Would I? Yes. Not if I was trying to steal his Oscar and I wanted plausible deniability. Okay, this is not happening. You don't have a real one. Just give him the 14 that he deserves. No, I'm going to give him the real one, and I'm going to give him 14. I'm sticking with it. He absolutely deserved an Oscar for this. He really, really did. Mm. And I get that perhaps Jamie Foxx did an amazing job or whatever, but, you know, yeah. What's ne- what, what did he get nominated for next? Oh, Blood Diamond. Mm-hmm. 
Mm, I'm not looking forward diamond. to that one. I am. All right. So anything else about El Aviador? No, it's just I agree. Like, it's not something that I would put on to uh, watch for fun, but it's not I a was feel glad. good film, shall it's we say. It's not a feel good, but um, I still enjoy it, and I think that he did an amazing job, and I'm constantly impressed with the dedication he shows to his, as Tom Cruise would say, craft. As all actors would say. All right. So now that I'm filled with anxiety and need to go wash my hands, uh, it's time to end this show. In the meantime, you can find us on iTunes, which is apparently now called Applecasts or something like that. Um, what? So you, yeah, it's not iTunes anymore. So you can go find us on Applecasts or whatever that is, whatever the, the Apple version of putting out podcasts is we're there um and pocket casts um we can also be found on twitter and instagram at let's talk leo pod and our website is let's talk about leo.com our theme song was composed by blake schmidtberger and the rest is just a meredith and laura production thank you so much for joining us to talk about leo and join us again next week when we discuss leo's reunion with enemy of the podcast marky mark Wahlberg in the departed the departed it, let me do that one last part again Thank you so much for joining us to talk about Leo. Join us again next week when we discuss Leo's reunion with enemy of the podcast, Mackie Mac Wahlberg in The Departed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's good, though. Be, I mean. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I think that you see a penis in the movie. Who's? I think. It's in Marky Marks because he's always trying to show that stuff to it's us. It's not. I think it's Jack Nicholson's. Oh. That's another way to do it. I mean, I'm not sure. I don't quite remember. Maybe I'm not remembering correctly, but I definitely remember being like, ha ha, penis. All right. You know? I'll prepare myself for that. I know preparation necessary. You won't know when it's coming. Okay. okay. All right. Peace out, Boy Scout. Bye. Bye. Do, 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 do